are live with another episode of Hockey Royalty Podcast, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com, where you can find all the sexy stories about your L.A. Kings. Man, we have an episode that's great for you guys. We're talking about the new signings. We're talking about ex- expectation for some forwards, the draft pick Jack Hughes, and the Dustin Brown madness going on here. Why does everybody's got their panties in a bunch? Stay tuned <laughs> and let's find out. All right, boys. Welcome in here to this thing here going on. How are you guys doing? Start with Russell here. I'm doing good. Just uh, another week in the off season, just counting down the days till we get going here in September or so. And Joseph Paterino, my ball friend, how you doing? Awesome. Couldn't be better. Aaron Judge just hit a walk-off home run. Yankees win. Oh, here we go. I'm doing pretty <laughs> The beards look – you growing the beard out? Is it already pre-Yankee playoff beard, like the antithesis what, of what it needs to be for the team? What this is, Brandon, is laziness. That's what this is. This <laughs> is I have two kids. I <laughs> this is I have two kids. I I have the ability to work from home, and I'm lazy. That's what this is. <laughs> I like it. At least you're keeping the top fresh. So That's right. I like it. That's right. I like it. You got to uh, drive. We'll to shine on it today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So let's start with the – the madness, like we're talking about it, and it's like, who would have thought that Dustin Brown getting a statue, um, you know, erected in front of uh, Crypto.com would be the most controversial thing about the Kings all season? Yet here we are. So they are retiring his jersey and and uh, getting a statue put up sometime. I think it's February 11th, right before the Super Bowl. So that'll be a fun weekend in LA for everybody there. Uh, what do you guys think of, about just the? Obviously, well-deserved by most Kings fans. Uh, what do you guys think about the retirement and then the statue it- itself? Uh, we'll start with Joe on this one. So <laughs> it is a little funny to see the reaction. Now, and again, keep in mind, I don't live in L.A., okay? I'm not from there. I know you guys, Russ is there. Brandon, you're from at least California. So, you know, you're going to appreciate it even more than I can. But as a lifelong Kings fan, who there was some very, very dark years. I mean, you got to remember, like, the, 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 this team was – they had their cup run in 93 and then really were never all that close after that for years. And then the one captain who's, you know, looking back now, he's played over 1,000 games, and he was an instrumental piece to the, their, the organization's first Stanley Cup. You know, he played his entire career there. I, I went through adversity, ups and downs. And at the end of the day, again, like if the Kings had won a cup prior, maybe he's not getting a statue. But I, I think, and again, you guys being there in the state, like what he's done for hockey in L.A., I, I, I don't get what the big deal is, what an, an individual organization wants to do at their own stadium for for their important pieces of their franchise. Now, I guess you could people have, maybe the question is okay, so if Brown gets it, does that mean Kopitar, Dowdy, Quick are getting it too because, you know, kind of that quote unquote core four if you will of of um, you know, these these draft picks that are tried and true, you know, career LA Kings have lifted cups. I mean, I guess I don't know. It's a conversation for a later day, but to think it's that big of a controversy, for lack of a better term, that the captain of the first LA Kings team to win a cup 
is getting a statue and it's not like he was a nothing player. Again, he was a captain. He's been a, he's a key piece. He's played a ton of games. Like he's, I, I don't know. I guess I don't get it. And Russ, and like I said, I know you're there, you're, you're living and breathing it every day in the city. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm just a little, I, I, it's an individual team. It's not like he's going to the hockey hall of fame, right? It's like, it's the Kings franchise and their organization want to do this for a player they deem is one of the most important pieces of their franchise, and it's hard to argue. Yeah, it's it's crazy that we even have to sit here and defend this. That's 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 the funny part is we're defending a guy getting a statue who led the team to a Stanley Cup, their first Stanley Cup, first two Stanley Cups. For I mean, for a franchise base that like like you said, I, I'm around the fans and I've been in LA. You guys are obviously fans too, and I mean, there's been some long, dreadful oh. years, and and. Um, CJ right here commented on our, our live uh, broadcast right here that Steve Dangle had the best response. And I, I think it was the best response that people outside of the organization, they don't realize the actual impact that Dustin Brown had. Yeah. Not only on the LA Kings, but just hockey in, in general in Southern California. I mean, Dustin Brown and Ryan Getzlaff, both captains of Southern California hockey teams, to first captain of Southern California hockey teams to win the Stanley Cup. And they deserve their dues, and I'm not sure if Ryan Getzoff's going to get a statue, but I mean, deservedly so. Dustin Brown deserves a statue, and if it wasn't even for Jonathan Quick, of all the great things he did during 2012, he Dustin Brown probably would have won the the Conn Smythe in that year. I think he had like 16 points and um tw or 20 points in like 16 games, something like that. So, um, yeah, it's it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I've heard the excuses like. Well, what about Kobe? Like, why hasn't Kobe got a statue yet? I'm like, what does the Kings have what does to that do matter? with whatever the Lakers are doing? Like, the Kings are making a decision that they felt was right for the organization. And I think it's the, it's the right decision. Like, you can talk about, like, all this people that are, are statue, all the statues that are outside of Crypto.com Arena. I think there, there's, like, eight of them now, and there's going to be nine, I think, with Dustin Brown. But I don't know. It's just there's a moment in history that – everyone's going to remember in King's history and it's Dustin Brown lifting the cup for the first time. And I'm not sure exactly what the statue is going to be, but yeah. I mean, looking at all the statues, there's no Stanley cup in around right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Shaq or, or Wayne Gretzky or Luke Robitaille, Bob Miller. I mean, to have that Stanley cup, I mean, they do have a statue with a Stanley cup in it. Yeah. But I mean, it's also that, that group one. And it's not really yeah. like, it's, I don't know. I, really been too fond of that one I, I i like it but it's just kind of like let's just put something together and put it off for the kings to kind of give them some memory of about what happened but to have dustin brown in that moment like lifting up the stanley cup solidified right outside crypto.com arena i think i think that would be great i mean kings fans would love it it just to have i don't know it's just a big moment in la king's history and it deserves <laughs> to be enshrined that's that's I all think, that's i all, think that's they all should matters. I think they should make a statue of his hit on the Sedin brother. <laughs> yeah, people have mentioned that being another moment, I guess. I think it would be kind of tough on Sedin to have him. Hey, we got you out here too, by the way. Immoralized, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think – I know people talked about like the Triple Crown line. There's no statues for the Triple Crown line. But, and I don't mean this in any sort of like disrespectful way, but they didn't – that line, that team, they, they never won a cup. And, and I don't know, like – that matters in sports. Like that's what you play for. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about winning titles and, and to be the first one to do it for a franchise. I, I think that's a big deal. Like if, if he 
like I said, if the Kings had won it prior, or if maybe his his tenure with the Kings was half of it, and he just happened to be the captain during those times. Okay, well maybe it's not, but that's not the case. This is a guy that was here for for as long as he was, and again, the first one to do it. I, I'm yeah, I guess I just I think I think. Russ, what you you had pointed out that CJ said about Dangle, like I think if you're outside the organization, it may seem a little odd, but like that would be the same as us being confused about something the Boston Bruins do outside theirs, or you know what stuff like that. Like we have no, we're not tied to that organization. We don't know what they view of their players. Like I, I don't I've mainly seen it from Toronto fans, and they just complain about it, everything, and then Edmonton's. I don't know. Edmonton doesn't seem like a because every Toronto fan hasn't seen a cup in their generation. They've never seen it. Of course, <laughs> it's millennium. <laughs> right. Well, people just look at the stats. That's all it is. They look at the stats and like, why is Dustin Brown getting a statue? Marcel Dion doesn't have a statue. Like, what's going on here? But yeah, yeah like like I mentioned, like this is a moment in Kings history that no one will forget. I mean, obviously, no. it's the first championship, and it deserves to be solidified and, and be a statue outside of crypto.com. Like, I guess there is a question now, like, well, okay, what do you do with like Andre Kopitar, That's Drew Doughty fair. and Jonathan Quick, which is a fair question. Like yeah, there are quite a few statues. It's going to be a little crowded out there, but I mean, I think, I would think maybe you spread them around, give um the Lakers one corner corner of the crypto.com, give the Kings one corner and, and go from there. I don't know. But I mean, these players, I mean, you, you looked at the list. I mean, there's some of the names like Oscar De La Hoya is like, I guess the biggest question mark. Like, why does he have a statue? But I mean, like, of course, like Shaq, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like Elgin Baylor, Chick Hearn, like Bob Miller, that, all these people, legends in LA sports deserve to be solidified outside of the buildings or, or the place that they uh, made their career. And guys, it's, I wonder if they're going to do like a, I wonder if they're going to do like a, like a, like a Trinity statue. Like if Kopitar and Dowdy retire as Kings, I wonder if they make like Brown the, the centerpiece and then like they build the two, other two statues like right next to it and like kind of have it like that a statue and quick to garden era quick. Yeah. That, yeah. They, like a they, statue they, garden of that era. Yeah. And I think that would be, and again, it's a unique situation because you have this, it happened to be the first time they won the cup and they did it twice in three years. And um, it's, it's this same kind of, four guys that have been there before it during it and now after it and at least it all looks like anyways they're all going to probably end their career as kings we'll see about quick but like i don't know I, i think it would be cool to see the four of them enshrined in some way because Again, we're not talking about Hockey Hall of Fame here. We're talking about <laughs> Los Angeles Kings outside of their own damn arena. This is a huge, huge player. And when we're talking now about these four players to an organization that brought championships that never existed before for the Kings franchise, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's not. It's, I, how, how, I how about this? Like, I think it's more about the moment of Dustin Brown lifting the cup than it is about Brown. And I think maybe that's what the Kings are going for. I mean, not, I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm like, think that Justin Brown getting a statue is a bad thing at all, but I think maybe it's more about the moment. Cause I mean, everybody thinks about when they, when they think about the first Stanley cup is Dustin Brown lifting the cup mm-hmm. for the first time. And I mean, that's, that's a picture that everybody will forever remember. So to have that moment 
enshrined outside of crypto.com arena would would be incredible i think that would be great and and if if anjay and and Dowdy and quick didn't get a statue like i think it'd be fine because i mean them too like thinking about that moment where brown lifts in the cup that that's a team moment yeah like, that's an organization historical movement a uh, moment so that would be okay with me but i think it's cool like with the the uh, jersey retired um having it with jeff carter coming in i, I think yeah. that's a really cool cherry on top so it, i mean it's gonna be a great day and, and they deserve everything and justin mm -hmm. deserves everything that's coming what if it what if the statue is is not the cup does that like change your because then then it is a dustin brown mm -hmm. statue the, rather and, than idolizing idolizing that that moment and again i don't again not yeah. that it matters <laughs> like he's, he's still a, a, an integral part and a key part of the of the organization's history but mm -hmm. just be be interested to see like if there was a picture and I was trying to find various pictures of what could other than the obvious right with him holding the cup which I think would be the no-brainer but I, I just imagine there's got to be some sort of toothless smile of him that that maybe could fit the bill just as well but um I don't know I I I, I think it's hockey Twitter being hockey Twitter yeah Last thing on the CJ said on the Dingle on the Dingle interview, he said that uh, if the Dustin Brown did this for the Leafs, he would have four statues outside of the Toronto's arena. Uh, oh, forget about in, it. in one year. Mm -hmm. um, He'd have streets named after him. I mean, <laughs> let's get to the draft pick here. You know, the Kings uh, didn't have a first round pick because we got Kevin Fiala, and and you know, excited about that. What he brings to the team. Uh, but we still got some good picks in this draft uh, coming in here, and then at the first one of this draft in the second the, in the 2022 draft at 51st overall, uh, they picked Jack Hughes. Uh, he is six foot, 170 pounds, left shot uh, out of the good old US of A. Uh, looks like he's going to be playing for Northeastern University this year. Uh, played last year in 39 games, had seven goals, nine assists, in 16 total points, uh, 28 penalty minutes, and a minus two. Played some for the national development team uh, the year before, almost a point-per-game player on the year before on the U18 team. So after looking at this pick, I don't think it was uh, on the forefront of a lot of our minds as we were doing the, the draft live uh, <laughs> or when we were talking about it live as a possibility for the second round. Uh, but after having time to digest, what did you guys think about this pick? Why don't we start with Russ there? Yeah, it seems like the Kings are almost going for the, these similar type of players. It's almost like these really good transitional neutral zone players that are, are really good, like a Jack Hughes, or just ginormous tall, tall players like like Sparks or or the um, Kale Lawrence, the other seventh round draft pick. So I, I mean, I I liked what I saw with Jack Hughes at the development camp. I, I got a close up view of him. He reminds me a lot of Francesco Pinelli, the the other second round pick the Kings so had, and they're the same height. It's 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 almost funny. It's like you watch them play in the neutral zone; they're almost the same player. They're they're hounds on the puck, and they're hounds without the puck. It's so they're really good. They're they're the type of players like they don't do anything really good elite level, but they're going to do a lot of like a lot of things really good. So they're they're not overly skilled. They're not like so fast that they're going to blow you away, but man, they are really good through, or Jack Hughes especially, really good through the neutral zone. And I, I like what um, I think I heard in one of Yanetti's many, many interviews that he did after the draft, where he said that it was really cool to see Jack Hughes go into college early and play against collegiate players to get that kind of skill level and that talent level 
up to his um, earlier or get to get into the college level earlier. So and he didn't really perform well and with only 16 points, 39 games. I mean, that's not really eye popping numbers, but I mean, for a player to go into that college level a lot earlier and to have a little bit of a production, I think that's, that suits well. And I think it will be a good player. And it's a good pick for the Kings. Yeah. He's one of the younger players in college hockey. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot to that. And and it's funny. You mentioned Penelope as, as watching some video. I'm like, man, it just has that same kind of, feel to it so the way i look at it is you were as you were describing it too russ like and it seems like yanetti in certain spots he has he has found these guys where it's like he he looks at the hockey iq and it's not a surprise to see him pick a player like this the way i look at him and i would probably characterize him as like a i don't know that his ceiling is very high like i don't know that this is going to be a star like i don't i'm not expecting this jack hughes to be a star but i think I'm expecting him to be an NHL player, you know, much like French, uh, uh, much like Pinelli. Like, I don't know if he's a star, but he's just such a well-rounded player that I think he can play in the NHL. Maybe not, maybe he's not your first line center, your first line winger in Pinelli's case, but he could be that second line guy or maybe a third line guy. And in Jack Hughes's case, because he's such a good playmaker, he could probably be a really, really effective power play guy as he gets, uh, as he gets older here. I'd be very curious to see how he does in the next couple of years and uh, uh, in college. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said and the stuff that I've watched and listened to and read and, he seems like a player that is very, very, again, well-rounded. He's probably not going to wow you. There's nothing he does that you're like, whoa, that just jumps off the table. But it's a lot of the little plays. It's plays in tight spaces. It's plays behind the net. He knows where to go without the puck. That's Those are those are things where if you're not an elite skater speed-wise or quickness-wise, which I don't think he is, if you can do those things, that's that's what's going to make you an NHL player, and I think he's got at least those tools in the box. Now, the, well, whether the rest of it physically comes along with it, if his shot gets a little bit better, um, and those things like then, and his skating does improve just a little bit, well, now then yeah, then he's looking at at uh, you know a, a good chance at the NHL. But I think that this is, like I said, I would classify him as more of like a high floor, maybe not as high ceiling as as other mm-hmm. draft picks, but a safe smart hockey player yeah he was you know he was saying that uh if he would have went back to the or went to the ushl instead of going to the ncaa he probably would have been a point per game player and a first round pick get almost guaranteed so you're looking at a guy that took the hard road and and, mm-hmm. and went that way does this pick feel like like alex turcott insurance 100 percent exactly <laughs> the type of player that's exactly the type of player i get when i watch jack hughes is like this is Alex Turcotte, like, like the, like that, that's what I mentioned. Like, these are the type of players that they've been drafting. Is these kind of like they're not going to wow you with overall like skill or puck handling or speed, but they do everything really well. So, I mean, it's just the type of game that the Kings are looking for. They're this transition counterattack team that is going to be really good through the neutral zone. I mean, that's what they got in Kevin Fiala. Kevin Fiala is that player. So. I mean, it, it's worked for them this past year where we saw all these young players that seem to come in and kind of tr- seamlessly work with the offense. So Trevor Moore's looked good. Phil Deneau came in in his first year, looks really good. So, I mean, if Jack Hughes and Francisco Pinelli and Alex Turcotte can develop into these these really good middle six players, I, I don't think that would be – I think that's going to be great for the Kings. And Turcotte, I'm glad you said his name too because, listen – We've talked about him ad nauseum for the last, what, calendar <laughs> year, just about, it seems. But it, 
and I think he needs to be healthy. We've talked about that. Or I've talked about that where I want to see him have a healthy stretch, but I, I still think he's an NHL player. He may not be a star and maybe that's a bust quote unquote for a fifth overall pick. Fine. Fine. If he's a, if he's a bust because he's not a first line center or winger and he's not a 80, 90 point player. Okay. But I still think he can be an effective middle six play penalty kill, play power play, be an effective player, be somebody that wears a letter, be somebody that contributes maybe in that 50 to 60 point range. So like, I, I still think you're talking about a really, really good player here. He just may not be that quote unquote star. And I think if there's a deeper conversation that we can have maybe at a later date, like the one thing the Kings haven't done, they've drafted a ton of prospects and a lot of them appear to be NHL players. They've gotten a lot of NHL games out of them. Randon, you've talked about it in the past about how they've gotten a lot of their games played for prospects is among it's the best three. Yeah. Right. There's no stars yet, right? We, we're still waiting on Kaliev. We're still waiting on Byfield and we're still waiting on Clark. And at some point you, you, you know, because you, Kopitar is your star, Dowdy's your star, D-man, you had Quick and Nat. Like they're they're on the back nine here. So you need these mm-hmm. guys to be replaced. And if, if, if Byfield isn't a star and Clark isn't a star, that's a lot of, that's a lot of first round picks that you just missed on. I mean, it, yeah. again, I see you, you look at it, no, but you look at a team like Colorado hits on McKinnon hits on, on probably the best defenseman in the NHL in Kale McCarr and mm-hmm. then hits on Miko Rantanen. Like they're hitting on all these, on every single first round pick on guys who are legit, to, uh, you know, top line guys like the Kings in order for them to be considered a wagon, going forward like they have to hit on i would say two of the five high first round picks that at least byfield and clark can't miss if like yeah. if I'm a, like well if byfield misses and and turcott gets healthy and he's a top winger like it doesn't really matter to me at that point i think clark is the more the linchpin because he's the only defender drafted in the top 10. so i think yeah. he would have to be more of the can't miss prospect in my opinion yeah, I just I, all I can say is I can't wait to see Byfield. This is kind of derailed a little bit from Jack Hughes, but I mean, yeah, Quentin Byfield. I mean, he looks when I saw him in development camp. He he played like a player like he knew he should. He's he's better than everybody that was there, and that was exactly the kind of confidence I want to see. Yep. And man, the he it looks like he's got bigger. It's it's insane how big he is mm-hmm. and and how fast he can skate. I mean, if you haven't seen him play live, it's just incredible. How quick he is and how how smooth he is skating for being six five. It's it's just incredible, and I'm expecting big things from him this year. Well, so let's get. That I think that leads in. I think that leads into this fan question, which is really good here. Do you put Fiala? Let's talk about Fiala. But the back part of the question is about QB. Do you put Fiala with Kempe or Kopitar, or do you put Fiala with another center and spread out your scores? What about Fiala with QB? And so obviously Kopitar is towards the end of his career. He's going to be going down the lineup. Maybe not this year. Maybe not next year. But eventually. But Fiala's there for the long haul. What do you think about that potential of QB and Fiala in the future and how they're both, you know, guys that have that neutral zone, you know, expertise? I, I, put, I, I put Fiala with Kopitar. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, right in, the, in the future. Oh, sure. But that depends on my field. I mean, we know what Fiala is right now. He's one of the best, particularly deep in strength, one of the best wingers in, in the game, particularly in transition through the neutral zone. You know, it's how Byfield develops. And I think, Russ, what, what you're saying about what you saw out of Byfield in development camp, that's exactly what we talk about, like the game slowing down for him. So 
he's showing like, okay, he's definitely a level up from these guys, right? And the game is going to slow down for him as he's he's able to do that. And I think if if he's able to show that throughout the, the early part of this year, that's going to be a huge difference maker. Um, so sure, down the road, but that assumes Byfield's ready to in you know the next one to three years, you know, or two to three years perhaps is a bit more fair um, to take that role. Um, yes, if as long as he does that for this year, I mean, yeah, I mean he, I put him with Kopitar and Kempe, and don't really really think twice about it. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're trying to put Fiala with Byfield, you're expecting. I mean, I'm expecting Fiala to play 18, 20 minutes a game. Exactly. So if, if that's happening, then you're expecting Byfield to play 18, 20 minutes a game, which is probably not happening. I mean, it, it would be great to have Byfield and Fiala develop some kind of chemistry, seeing mm -hmm. how Fiala is going to be here for a long time now. So, and Byfield's yep. obviously probably going to be here a long time too. But, I mean, you still have Arthur Kaliev. And I think Arthur Kaliev and Quentin Byfield developing some chemistry would be even better than Fiala and, and Byfield developing chemistry. But – I don't know. I mean, Fiala is such a he's such a good versatile player. You can play him wherever. And, and yeah, we're we're penning him in or penciling him in alongside Kopitar and Kambi, which I expect him to be too. But who knows? We'll see what happens throughout the season. And I'm expecting a fun training camp too with some of these players we're going to talk about. All right, let's get to let's get to our sponsor here um, at DraftKings. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000. And if that doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major actions in baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, the same game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props you're betting on feel endless. Do you want to bet on the Dodgers and then the UFC title fight? You can do just that. Or do you want to make a fortune and go back in time and bet that the A's, my last place A's, would sweep the Houston <laughs> Astros? You'd be a millionaire. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, boys. Well, we got some signings here. Um, maybe not the ones that people were thinking it would be first with uh, the Mikey Anderson. Uh, but we got a couple contracts here to, to talk about. Gable Velarde signs uh, for showing 8.25 uh, or uh, yeah, 825,000. And you have, uh, where is... The other man, where's Jad? Oh, he's buried down here. I should have had this ready more. Uh, Jared Anderson Dolan for 750000 So <clears throat> Gabriel Velarde is a one-way contract, and Jad's a, a two-way. Let's talk about Gabriel Velarde first, since we've already done his expectations for the season. One-way contract, does this speak confidence? Does this speak... Uh, along the lines of what you thought it would be, uh, less than a million. So, you know, the, the money didn't increase, but, you know, one-way one way deal. What what did you think of, about that little facet of, of the deal there, Russ? I think it's interesting. I, I don't know. The thing with Gabe, it's – I don't know. It's With Gabe, it's just tough because you, you, we've seen these explosive, this explosiveness from Gabe, the talent, the skill. It's all there. Just 
for some reason, he just can't find the consistency. I don't know if it's a mental thing or he's focusing on a defense now. It's just, I don't know. I'm mixed. When I when I pencil in the lineup, and you, you it's pretty much the bot, the fourth line is where that open spot is. Whether it's going to be Lemieux or uh, Grunstrom uh, on the wings of uh, Lazat on the fourth line, I mean, with the open extra roster spots, there's probably going to be a couple of spots available, whether it be Velarde or Jad or or, or whoever. But I mean, with Velarde, the one way contract is a little interesting, and I, with waivers coming up throughout the training camp and the kind of crowd that's going on in the bottom six right now with the extra forwards, maybe the one way contract is a way to kind of scare teams from picking him up if he does go on waivers. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not the biggest contract buff. I kind of source to cap friendly for all that good stuff, but. Yeah, it's interesting that he was able to get a one-way contract and Jad, and Jad was able to get a two-way contract. So, But, I mean, Velarde, I mean, bringing him back, is, it's just – it makes sense because, I mean, there's too much skill and talent there just let that, to let that go. So you have to keep him around. Yeah, I mean, I wish – I wish you could be <laughs> – You're speechless it, too. I, it's an enigma. It feels like Velarde is an enigma, and it's it's – and I don't know that it's anybody's fault. Like, I don't know if it's your organization's fault or even Velarde's fault. Like he had some injuries. The timing wasn't great because he was thrust into a role that he just wasn't ready for a couple of years ago. You know, then he, he, he goes down to Ontario does seemingly exactly what's asked, asked of him moves to the wing and, and Rando, you can attest to this. Too. I thought he was great. I thought he was one of the best players on, on yeah. the rain while he was uh, as a winger. And I, th- I thought that he could be somebody that could be an impact potential winger down the stretch. And again, I think timing is everything because by the time he got called back up, the Kings are like knee deep in a playoff race. Like they just couldn't afford to experiment, right? With putting Velarde in a impact role in a top six role, they needed to go with what was working and just ride it. So I can appreciate that. So I think timing has been a lot of it too with Velarde. It's just the timing he got to the NHL when he was healthy to play two C wasn't ready. The timing he gets called up after doing great job on the wing in Ontario, the team's in a playoff push and he's an outsider coming in, not outsider, but you know what I mean? Coming up from. Well, even in, even in 2020 when he came up and then was killer. And then the league gets shut down. It's like exactly. the timing there too. So I think, I think, I think, and I hate, you know, I, it probably feels like me who is a big part of the game Velarde fan club is making excuses for him. But I, I truly think this is like an extremely talented player that's had a lot of bad luck, whether it's injury, COVID, position change, and just f- frankly timing with, with certain things. I still think he's a talented player. I'd still love to see him play a role on this team i struggle to find the fit i don't know where he fits he's not going to play that that the grunstrom you mentioned that fourth line potentially with lazat grunstrom lemieux i think that's sounds like a solid fourth line to me um the time that he plays with i don't mind that he plays with byfield and kaliev well so just and by the time some of you are listening to this on podcast form, there's going to be a really good article from Ryan Sykes talking about this exact thing with the forwards that'll be out um, at, as you're listening to this today, but but tomorrow as we're recording. Um, it talks about the forward logjam, and as of right now, Alex Iafalo is third line left wing. Oh, yeah. So where does, as Russ said, Gabe Velarde right now is um, 
he's an extra forward and it sucks in a way because he's really talented and he just ha- can't find that right. He, can't, he just can't get a rhythm. It's again, I so much of this, I think is timing. Do you, do you think, I mean, we just talked about players like Hughes, Pinelli, Turcotte, all these kind of real good transition, transition players. I mean, with Lardy, I mean, he's probably the best, if not, or probably one of the best offensive zone prospects or yep. players that the Kings have. For sure. I mean, I, I mean, I was all about Vladimir Kachev last year because of his creativity, mm-hmm. but I mean, Gabe Velarde is that same type of player. And I wonder if it's the Kings system is what's kind of holding him back. Because I mean, once he has the puck in the offensive zone, he's no one gonna, knows what he's going to yeah. do. He's insane. He's one of the best players in the ice. So yeah. I don't know, maybe the counterattack offense that the Kings run is maybe hurting him. It's fair, and that's why he was such a really good power play player in Ontario. You get him in the offensive zone. He could because once you're in the zone, in the offensive zone, and Russ, or excuse me, Randall, we talked about this with Scott Wheeler a year and a half ago, I think, about so it's not as if you have to be this this lightning fast player once you're in the zone, right? You just need to be able to think. And Velarde can do that. And his hands are great, his vision's great. So yeah, I think you're right. Like he's he's a different type of player. He's certainly different than look at what's on the Kings roster. He ain't exactly. he's a different player than Kempe. He's a different player than Fiala. He's a different player than than Moore and Arvidsson. He's he's one of the few, but but at the same time, for a team that lacks scoring, like <laughs> be it at five on five or the power play, he is one of the few guys that is so good in the offensive zone at slowing things down and making those creative plays that it's like Man, it's tough to not see him in the lineup, but yeah, it's let's an look, enigma. Yeah, let's look at the stats for everybody who's wondering. Uh, 38 points in 39 games for the rain, so pretty much a point per game, 15 goals, 23 assists. And then he had seven points in 25 games. And, and doing the math, if he played all 82 last year, he would have been at 23 points, which would have put him in the top 10 for the Kings in scoring with the limited amount of minutes that he got. You know, he it, it still is, it looks like, it just wasn't blowing you away, but the stats are there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and I said this two years ago about Grunstrom, like in his limited action, like he was on pace for forty plus points in that in that small window, and I was like, he's just got to get consistent ice time, and he'll prove it to you. And like Grunstrom, it was two years later, but I was eventually right. Like it just he proved it. So I just I think that the logjam might prevent him initially but somebody's going to get injured at some point during the season mm-hmm. and he's going to get that opportunity and and you know it, it's it's it, you got to seize that opportunity i was listening to a different podcast the other day and and he was talking about he's an ex uh, cornerback uh, in the nfl and he said in his senior year in high school he goes he was a four star prospect and he got benched the third game because uh, he had a bad play he got he said he got lucky that the backup hurt his ankle in the first series and he got through, he came back in, had two picks and never gave the job back up. And so part of, part of sports is opportunity and what mm-hmm. you do with it mm-hmm. and the opportunity to be two C he fumbled that the opportunity to go back down to the AHL and dominate and show that he is still the elite playmaker that they drafted to be check Mark. Did he put up enough points in the limited amount of time? I, I believe yes, he did for the Kings. He put up enough points in the limited amount of time that he was there. I think so, if the Kings were if the Kings were not in a playoff position last year, maybe he gets a longer leash and a bigger role. But they just couldn't. And I, again, I get it. Um, again, it's timing. I think it, it's a lot of it's timing with him. I just don't get the signings. Like we had, we had so many people last year, and like I, I was like, okay, like let's let the cream ride with the crop. But eventually, like you have to let people play. 
Like you have to let see what you got in Velarde. Like you don't really know what you have. Like you said, all these stoppages, the back, you're switching positions, you're doing this, doing that. Like, like what is really? And we're going to get to this guy. What what is really signing Leah Sanderson bringing to this team? What is really signing? You know, I know Lemieux brings toughness, but you're clogging up spots there. You know, like I like Blake Lazat, like everybody else, but like there's only so long where these guys can like marinate and marinate. Like eventually, they have mm-hmm. to prove it at a different level. And maybe that's a different philosophy. Philosophy, Yanetti saying that, you know, you see other teams just throw their prospects in and they have to swim. And then we're taking the more slow approach. And so who knows? I mean, we, you, we don't, none of us have a crystal ball and it'll be a decade until, you know, we might know on some mm-hmm. of these guys whether it was truly the, the right process. But to me, it seems like, okay, Velarde went down and proved in the AHL. He's got nothing left to prove there. Like he's got to play at the big league level. Yeah. I mean, you're saying the same thing for Jared Anderson Dolan, who's also proved himself in the, in the AHL has looked like a really good player and was one of the better power play players for it, which was kind of out of the norm for a player like Anderson Dolan. So, I mean, it's the same thing is, is what's going to happen with these players and these prospects that are kind of just on the fringe right now, they're waiting for their opportunity, but it's, I mean, you look up and down the forward line, if it's just not there, there's no room. So mm-hmm. what happens to these players this year or next year? I mean, with a couple of these players already signed long-term, there's there's not much room for some of these prospects to break in. I'll say I don't I don't think if we're if we're looking at these guys here, especially Velarde and Jod, like we'll we'll assume no trade is happening. I, I don't think Velarde's going on waivers because I don't think he does clear. I think he he's gonna be in the NHL roster, whether that's as a as a reserve or or he's in the opening night starting lineup in some capacity. I think Velarde's gonna be with the Kings. Anderson Dolan, I wouldn't be surprised if he is sent down, and I wouldn't be surprised if he clears either. But, man, and you touched on it, Russ, he had such a good and consistent season in Ontario. His power – he – so you talk about a guy that that can play, in my opinion, can play up and down the lineup. If you need him to play wing – if you need him to play center, he can play on the first line. He can play on the fourth line. He can play the power play. He can play the penalty kill. He is one of these guys that can play in any situation in any role and be effective. Now he's, he's you, Trevor Lewis. He's Trevor Lewis. Right, exactly. Like, do you want him to be your first line winger all season? No. But can he do it in a pinch if there's an injury or something going on in the game? Yes, he can. You know, but I think this. I'd hate to see the Kings, and I, you know, listen. I'm sure they don't want to lose him either. So. But this is this is a player that that can is a like perfect thirteenth forward, right? For the for the Kings, uh, or really NHL any NHL team, the way he can just he's so versatile, and what he showed in Ontario on the power play last year, Randon, it was awesome. I mean, he played. Talk about a team. The, the differences between the Kings and the Rain and their power play. The Kings didn't utilize below the goal line, and they didn't utilize the bumper. Two things the Rain did to expertise and Jod was so good below the goal line. He knew when to be the, the drop-off guy below the goal line for, for an outlet for Tynan. He knew when to get to the top of the crease if it was up at the point when Spence had it. He had a handful of tip-in goals on the power play. Like it, He was just such a good player for Ontario last year. And again, it probably kind of flies under the radar, right? Because he's not this big prospect. He's not one of these first round picks. So I think he kind of flies a little bit under the radar, but man, and if he does, that's fine because, you know, then he can, if, if they need to send him to Ontario, he can pass through, but man, he, he's a, he's a really, really solid hockey player. 
is Anderson Dolan. And I would, I, I think he's a, he's a perfect guy to have as like that 13th forward. He's a I think Randy guy too. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But I'm muted still. There uh, we go. Um, yeah. I think he's a better uh, net front presence for, for anybody than anybody else on the Kings that they have right now. Like the way he played last year for the rain, the net front uh, on the power play. I mean, I would, if he makes the roster and he's that last forward, I would have him on the power play too. Just because he showed he can do it at a high, a super high level. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we'll see what uh, Jimbo wants to do with the, you know, the tactics and everything like that. But you know, ultimately, you know, I think there, hopefully, there's a big shakeup there. But you know, looking at his stats, 54 games, 24 goals, 23 assists, 47 points, plus nine, averaging 0.87 points per game. Uh, you know, 133 shots. Like he was just, you know, really, really bringing it uh all year long and so you know like that's another guy that just looks in in the in the limbo factor and that's going to get to our second part of this series called forward expectations we did a couple episodes ago we did byfield we did velardi we did kupari and kalia the guys that have had quite a few games of nhl experience but are still not full-time nhlers and this one we're talking about a lot of fringe guys and we'll keep it going with anderson dolan here and what we find uh, for his expectations and for me, I think he I think he could play anywhere between second line and fourth line. I think you see the versatility, like you said, of, of the Trevor Moore style, but he has a lot of offensive skill as well on the power play. Every single year, it seems like he's gotten better at one individual skill and like really focused on something and then exponentially got better at it. Like and Joe and I were talking before the season, like he needs to show a skill to play more special teams. He did that, played a lot more special teams mm-hmm. for Ontario and capitalize and then last year and i thought in the games for the kings last year i thought he played decently he showed confidence going through the neutral zone he, he wasn't afraid of the big moments i know um you know i know that maybe he was a little bit out of his depth and, and didn't have time to create chemistry you know at certain points but like he looked great in my opinion for the short time that he was up yeah no i i think my expectation is he's probably going to be in Ontario. That's my expectation. Now, what me personally, what I would love to see, it'd be a great to find a way to have him as that extra forward in LA, because as you said, you know, as the season goes, things happen, injuries happen, all sorts of stuff is going to happen. So you need guys that you can plug and play in and that you don't always have to call up. Um, God, you know, if the Kings are on a road trip or something, it'd be nice to be able to just have a, a guy that's there with, with the team. But we not, might not be able to with the cap situation the way it is. Right. Yeah. Well, I, again, so that's why I think he's going to be in Ontario to start the season. And I, I think it's, it, it isn't going to hurt him, right? It's just it is what it is. I mean, the Kings have a lot of forwards right now. Uh, so I don't think there's a spot for him. Um, I don't think there's a spot for him. I mean, may, maybe he makes – it just depends on what. They'll usually take 14 forwards, 8D – uh, and a couple of goalies. So, you know, maybe he's, maybe he is on LA as their, as one of those two extra forwards that that's a possibility. Um, or maybe 70, I should say. So, so he, he could be um, with, with the big club in that scenario, but we'll see. Russell, yeah, what do you I think mean, your expectations would be for him it on, if he makes the Kings roster out of camp? If, if Jad made, made the Kings roster, yeah, I mean, he's just going to be, I don't know. It's tough because he's just going to be a replacement player, really. He's going to he's going to have to be an extra forward. I mean, you're not going to sit Grunstrom after the playoffs he just mm-hmm. had. You're not going to 
I mean, maybe Lemieux, you can kind of interchange there because Lemieux is kind of maybe that one one type player where he just brings a lot of intensity and aggressiveness. But, I mean, yeah, with, with Jad, it's like, yeah, if you're going to play him, then you're going to probably play him over a player like Velarde. Do you want to play Velarde or Jad? I guess it depends on the matchup. But just looking at the lineup, yeah, like Joe, Joe talked about, there's probably two forward spots that are going to be available with all these extra forwards that we're talking about with with Jared Anderson Dolan, Gabe Velarde, Leah Sanderson, and and maybe even Samu Fagimo. I mean, you just so you have to look at the waiver situation just to kind of as an from an asset management point of view. So to keep all these players, so you don't lose potentially one two waivers. If let's say you do want to send Jared Anderson Dolan down to Ontario, I mean he's going to have to pass through waivers. You mm-hmm. look at a team like Seattle or even Anaheim. I mean they're going to love to pick up a player like that. I'm talking about a second round pick who had however many points in the AHL looked really good on the power play. That's a really good commodity to have for a team that's probably rebuilding. So it's probably going to be either one Jared Anderson Dolan or Leah Anderson Anderson that gets sent down. And I would probably lean toward Leah Anderson, even though he is also waiver. Um, he is eligible for waivers and would have to clear that. That's not really a player I see that is kind of growing into the future of the Kings franchise. It's a he's a seventh overall pick, and the Kings paid a second round pick just to get him. But I mean, it's he's AHL Gretzky. He's just looked really good in the AHL, but he's looked not that good in the NHL. Besides penalty, uh, the penalty shots or shootouts. So I don't know. It's it's going to be a, a tough decision, and maybe there'll be injury. We'll have to see what happens with Victor Arvidsson. He had surgery in the off season, so yeah. we'll see what happens if he's going to be on IR at the start of the season. That kind of opens up another spot, but. I mean, if everyone's healthy, it's going to be either Jad or Leah Anderson. It's going to be the last spot. We didn't even mention Rasmus Kapari in all this, this, this yeah. large jam, right? But you mentioned he's waiver exempt, and we saw Rob Blake do this last year. Remember, the 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 thought going into the season was, well, Jared Anderson Dolan, of course he's going to be on the team. He had such a good year the year before. But when you look at the roster, he was waiver. You know, he, he can go down. Um, from didn't have to worry about clearing waivers. Blake Lazat wasn't. It wasn't that crazy of a thought to think Blake Lazat was going to win the roster spot over him just solely from an asset management standpoint. They can slide Anderson Dolan down without any consequence. And I kind of think that's where Rasmus Kapari falls this year too. He falls in that spot where he's the one of these guys that's um, that's exempt. So he can he's just the easiest quote unquote to send down from. And, and, you know what's That's so crazy so is that too. it's just so crazy that you look at Lazat and he's 24 years old. Like he's only two years older than Velarde yeah. and, and Kapari and everything like that. And we're like, oh, like these are the youth. This is the, you know, obviously the first round moniker. But I mean, Lazat's earned it just as much as anybody else. I mean, he might be a career fourth liner, but you know, but he's All he's right. earned it. And that's why he got a that's why he got a two-year deal. And you know, I was the you know, I'll take I'll wear that saying that I thought he shouldn't have made the roster over Jad, but I was proven wrong last year. So no, you're you're not the only one. You're not the only it, one that's been so, wrong on those so, I was the only one, I think. <laughs> I was right I was riding my hat on the Kempe train all year. So um well, the part of know, that rush was simply because of like Anderson Dolan was they could go he he didn't have to clear. Like that made that decision, I think, like I don't want to say easy for Blake, but relatively speaking, it probably was somewhat easy that we have Lazat. Jod can use another year in the AHL. It's going to be fine for his development. It turns out it's, it was a perfect scenario. Lazat had a great season as the fourth line center in LA. Anderson Dolan had a great season fully developing in, in Ontario. 
it's best of both worlds. Yeah, it just, it's it's just like a lot of the sports you see, like draft pedigree, really play a factor, especially like in football and sometimes in hockey. But it doesn't seem like the Kings absolutely give an F about where they drafted these guys, what their expectations yeah. were when drafted. It's like, I mean, okay, yeah, we're just gonna sign, we're gonna sign, uh, you know, Sean Walker here. We're gonna sign Matt Roy, seventh round pick, to this kind of deal and, and do all this kind of stuff. It doesn't seem like they care, and and they're just making moves. And so far, I mean, I haven't been too upset with any of the moves that Rob Blake has made, but. It's just baffling sometimes because you you view all these guys and eventually they have to get a try, right? And you li you listen to Yanetti about his ultimate fear of the mismanagement of some of the players when he first got to the Kings. And my fear is that some of these guys are going to be mismanaged and not given the opportunity. And then at that point, they're just going to wash out, you know, or, or you know, they'll be 25 before they'll have an opportunity to go somewhere else. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes out. You know, you don't have a crystal ball and you wish that. But ultimately, like we said – all these prospects aren't going to make it anyways. Like you just hope that every single one will. And the percentages don't really dictate that going forward. Let's get to, let's get to another guy that we think is, um, has a good chance scored a hat trick in the final scrimmage, uh, there at the dev camp in 63 games with, uh, the Ontario rain had 27 goals, 17 assists for 44 points, a plus 17, uh, power play goals. He had nine wicked shot, Worked on his defensive game, Mr. Samuel Fagimo. And I think that my expectation for him is I, I fully I fully expect him, if he does ever get the chance to play for the Kings, to be integrated on the power play. I hope the new guy integrates his best talent, uh, at least on the power play, too. We'll see how they, they work it in. Uh, but, I mean, and for the AHL, I think he's slotted right next to TJ Tynan uh, all year long. And I wouldn't be surprised if he pots 40 goals next season. 100%. He's going to take that Martin Furk role. Yep. And, and and he's that type of player. I mean, he's probably even better than Furk. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Furk's going to get hopefully get a shot in the NHL. He deserves it. But with uh, Furk leaving, Sammy Fagimo, he has a shot that maybe is not as hard as Martin Furk's. I don't think anybody does, but he has a great shot. And, and it's funny because I'm I was I remember I was watching Dev Camp and I'm just paying attention to like Jack Hughes and Kaliev. And then, sure enough, Sammy Fagimo comes out of nowhere and scores a hat trick because that's that's the type of player he is. He's that Tyler Toffoli prototypical yep. goal scorer in the NHL, and he's he's, I mean, with the shot that he has, he can easily score probably twenty goals in the NHL right now. And one more year in the AHL, where like you you mentioned, Brandon, I could easily see him scoring 35, 40 goals in the in the AHL this year if he plays alongside a player like TJ Tynan, where. He's just going to get get set up with easy one timers or a lot of space to, to use that shot. So it'll be it's going to be a good year for Fagimo. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. I'm I'm not really pushing for him to make the NHL roster because it's another player that is waiver exempt. So I don't I don't think another year in the AHL would be bad for his development in any way. So I mean, he's, you, he's you wouldn't be su you wouldn't be surprised if he did make it though. If he, if he no, not blew a, up camp. Not at all. I mean, this is a Kings team that's been so desperate for scoring. I mean, you have Sammy Fagimo is probably one of the best goal scorers in the pipeline besides maybe Arthur Kaliev. Why not give him a look? But the thing is, is like, you're going to be playing in probably bottom six minutes. You're not going to give him line. The you're not going to give him time alongside Deneau or Kopitar. So it's mostly going to be bottom six minutes. But, I mean, in the few games that he had with the Kings last season, that he looks pretty good. So I'm excited. The only thing that would surprise me about him making the team is kind of what Russ just alluded to. There just isn't a spot. Um there's no spot. I mean, he's he's not playing over I follow. He's not playing over Kaliab. He's not, you know, Lemieux is a totally different role. 
I don't see the spot. So, which I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Like if anything, like if I'm the Kings, you can almost be that old school and challenge the player and say, okay, kid, your job, you were drafted to score goals. You're going to play with the best center in the American hockey league. You're going to play first power play. You're going to have every opportunity to score 30 plus goals this year. Go do it. And he did 27 last year. I like the 40 goals that you put out there. And I don't think it's a crazy number because you look what FERC did with TJ Tynan last year. Um, he's that good, Tynan. He's, he, he, can, he is that good. And if, if Fagimo goes out and shows what he can do with an elite playmaker, well, now you know that you've got a guy that, that is capable of scoring at a really high rate. Um, you give him the right playmaker and you got something. So then the following year, maybe you've got yourself a sneaky third line guy that can score 15 to 20 goals um, in a, in a kind of middle to bottom six role as he gets his feet wet in the NHL. So my expectation is exactly kind of what Russ said. He's going to, he's going to play the first line next to Tynan. He's going to play first power play in the left circle next to Tynan, uh, you know, across from Tynan, I should say uh, with Jordan Spence at the, at the top of the power play. And he should do, he should have a huge season. Now, and if he does, perfect. Like you're, that he's coming along, nice and steady. If he doesn't, you know, is that a cause for concern? Maybe I, I don't know. But the way he went last year, I I I have no doubts that he's gonna have a big year in Ontario. He was a slow starter too. Like you saw towards the end of the season, he had a week where he had like he had two, multiple games with over you know two goals and. And really, like, really heated up towards the end of the year. Playoffs, he had five, three goals in five games. Surprisingly, Vladimir Kachev led the reign in playoff points. Uh, but, uh, you know, Fagimo just has that talent. And I think that his defensive game got better. Um, and now, you know, maybe they asked him to clean that up last season. And now, in this next season, his job is just to put the puck in the net, like, and let his skill set fly. Another thing to watch too is he played penalty kill last year. That's the mm-hmm. thing. I think the Rain did a pretty good job of incorporating these guys. Uh, Quentin Byfield being one of them. Akil Thomas is another one when he got back. Uh, Anderson Dolan, Sam Figimo, and actually Anderson Dolan and Figimo, if I'm not mistaken, were, were the, the uh, penalty kill pair, uh, a penalty kill pair, I should say, that they played together. They got a lot of penalty kill minutes, which I think is is only going to help them uh, as they go down. So we'll, we'll see if he gets those same type of PK minutes, figuring he's going to play, assume, again, first line with Tynan, first power play with Tynan if he gets the same minutes. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's it's. I think you're going to see guys like Andre Lee. You're going to see Hellenius, like perhaps step yep. into those PK roles and, and let, you know, Fagima, like his, his role will flip, right? And we talk about what roles dictate and – when you get brought up, your role is different, right? You're not yep. going to have those minutes to show those skill sets. So you have to have other tangible skills to get minutes. And that's what we asked of Jared Anderson Dolan. And, and they asked that of Fagima last year because his Martin Furk was that role. And now he's going to have that role. And so maybe the minutes will will change and, you know, and really kind of go there. And this maybe this brings us to our last guy and what his role will be is Leah Anderson. So if he does get sent down, you know, where – what are our, what is our expectations for him on the AHL? I mean, he's AHL, you know, McJesus, as he said, but you know, just came in and has lit the world on fire. But do you see it more maybe like a Austin Wagner situation where he got sent down and just kind of pl- like plugged in wherever they needed him, and it was more about the prospects, or do they still consider him uh, young enough 
to to resurrect his career because they gave him every opportunity last season when he wasn't injured. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was an experiment that the Kings just wanted to take on. Like, hey, second round pick. You pay a second round pick price to get a seventh overall pick. I mean, I think that's a that's a gamble that I mean for a team that had so many draft picks too mm-hmm. at the time. That's a gamble you're willing to take, and it's a gamble I think the Kings thought that maybe if Leah Sanderson can kind of grow to any type of middle six player, it would be a, a good move to make. But man, unfortunately, well, with Leah, Coyotes, if you're listening, if you want to send us a second round pick, we'll, we'll listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if with Leah, it's crazy because I mean he's one of those players that looks really good in the AHL, but for some reason just can't put it together in the, in the NHL. But I mean, there's been times where he's looked really good also in the NHL during some preseason games with Kachev and Velarde last year specifically. But um, you're just kind of looking up and down the lineup and seeing all the prospects that are available, like Pagimo or Chromiak or Lenius, all these forward prospects. And it's like, where does Leah Anderson fit? I mean, you don't really see a move for him or a spot for him to take. So I don't know. I think, I think if he gets sent down to the AHL, I don't really see a team maybe even using a waiver spot to get him. So I think that'd be a really good piece to have in AHL. And, hey, if you, if you get uh, the injury bug again like the Kings did last season, you can bring up a player who's, who's got some NHL experience and maybe can fit in a bottom six role here and here or there in a couple of games. But, yeah, the Reign are going to be – they're going to be fun to watch, man. You talk about some of those players that – I mean, yeah, obviously Ferk is gone, unfortunately, but you're adding Chromiak, you're adding Hellenius. Kim Noisy-Einen's over here now. Another year of Helga Granz. That's going to be a really fun team to watch, and I'm going to have to make a, make the trip out there to get a couple games in. Yeah, and get your AHLTB because another one that you didn't mention was Akil Thomas. And if anybody watched his – you know, he played, what, 40 games last year. His last 20 was fire. So Akil Thomas is one. He's – don't be surprised if he knocks on the door this year to, to get a call up. But for Lee Anderson, at first when I saw them – you know, the Kings extend their, their uh, qualifying offer and like, it just seems they didn't need to do that. But then when you look at it, it's like, okay, it's, it's a 750,000. If it doesn't work, they can send him down. If he gets claimed, I don't think anybody's losing sleep over it. If he goes down to the AHL, he can be a productive player down there for the rain and he can help those guys out. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And you know, if something happens in a pinch and they decide he's the guy that they want to call back up, then they can do it. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, it was kind of low risk to just extend the offer. He accepts it. And if it doesn't work, then he's out the door and somebody claims him. Again, I don't think that's like the worst thing in the world. So kind of low risk, probably pretty low reward too, frankly. Uh, I don't know what your ceiling is or what the expectation could possibly be at the NHL level for Elias Anderson. And, and yeah, if he goes down, I think that's a good, it's an interesting comp there ran in with Wagner just because there's so many other, and Russ, you just rattled a lot of them off prospects that you want to really see get significant minutes um, and, and big ice time. So um, we'll see what happens, but I, I think it was a – I imagine it was a low-risk, throw it out there, not a big deal if he gets claimed type of thing. I don't I don't want to get into, like, the whole, like, rumors or speculation thing, but, I mean, we just talked about so much good talent that the Kings have. Mm-hmm. It's like you just feel like there's a trade that just has to happen. Whether And I don't think there's going to be a trade that's going to happen in the offseason just based off of where the Kings are at, the salary cap, and – Obviously, Jersey and Anderson aren't signed, but maybe December, 
January, they make a move where they send like maybe like you you talked about last uh, last couple months before Faber was traded. Like that's the type of player that you probably trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just got over talking like about Samuel Fogimo. I mean, that could be a player that a lot of teams look at that's maybe starts lighting it up in the AHL really early. Like, hey, if you're looking to trade away a piece, Fogimo is going to be a good asset to to trade. Yeah, Fagimo or listen, and I, I, I got, I felt like I caught heat when I said that you know Faber should be the guy to get traded, and that was like the equivalent of me not liking Brock Faber, which was just not the case. Just looking at the assets, but when you look at the Kings roster and you look at Kempe's locked up, Fiala's locked up, Kaliev's there, you know Arvidsson is there at least for the short term. If if Fagimo have it has another big year, like. Another potential trade chip could be a Martin Chromiak. Again, I'm not advocating trading Martin Chromiak. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it, it could potentially make sense, right? Because as we talked about, like, the Kings haven't developed yet the star. So if you – we're Kings fans, so we, we, we have a tendency. Every organization, every fan base does this. They hold their prospects just a little tighter than, than maybe other teams. So we have no idea if other teams think Samuel Fagimo – is a prospect to go get. We don't know how other teams value him or how other teams value Tyler Madden or Keel Thomas or Gabe Velarde. Like, we don't really know. I mean, I've re- repeated this. Brock Faber seemed like the perfect fit for Minnesota, right? Hometown boy. They needed yeah. defensemen. Like, he it just seemed, seemed like, like the, the perfect. perfect. He seemed like the perfect fit of the crop of Kings defensemen to trade. Mm-hmm. He was the one guy of the right shot D. Outside of Clark, but Clark is a different story because he's like the probably the one untradeable guy on the whole team, but like on the whole organization. But Dersey, Granz, Spence, they're playing pro hockey and they're playing it well. Faber is still in college. He made the most sense. He he had, I would argue, as high of perceived value as any of those guys because he played in the Olympics. He's played in the World Juniors. He's played in the development program. He's he's gotten that kind of national coverage that maybe a Helge Granz or Jordan Spence hasn't gotten. So I'd argue that Faber's perceived value may have even been higher than those guys. So you cash in on that, right? And to me, that's what it was all about is you've got this long list of right shot D – to me, Faber pro- again probably had the uh, among the highest of the perceived value. Where, in my opinion, he's probably behind Granz and Spence. Anyways, like pull the. That's not to say I don't like the player, but pull the trigger if you can get freaking yeah. Kevin Fiala. You do it. Yeah. Like now, this is this is kind of transitioning here, and we're looking at the roster and where do people fit. And I have a feeling if if T- Trevor Moore has the season like he did last year, he's no longer an LA King. Because I don't think they're going to be able to afford him unless they trade away Victor Arvidsson or other players because he's making a little over a mil now, right? Like he has one year left. He's making 1.8, sorry, 1.8. But you have Victor Arvidsson for two years and you have all these guys and all these prospects. Like if he's another, if he gets another 50 points, 40, he had 48 last year, if he gets another 50 points, like another team's going to offer him for something million. Like we're not going to be able to resign him at that, at that point. And I think that'd I think be it interesting all- to talk about. No, for sure. I think it all depends on what happens with the salary cap next season. Yep. And do you bring back Jonathan Quick? Because with Jonathan Quick gone, you're you're shedding away about five point five million dollars in cap space. So, do you bring? I guess that also has to do with how Cal Peterson does this year. So, yep. I mean, does Cal Peterson next make the, or take the next step where you're able to let a player like Jonathan Quick walk or wherever whatever happens with him? But 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be some cap space, I think, to sign Trevor Moore. Whether whether there's going to be additional cap space to bring in any more talent, that remains to be seen with what happens to the salary cap. But I, I don't see the Kings losing more. I, I, I think Arvidsson maybe might be a player that the Kings could look to trade, or Ayafalo is a name that's been out there. But I think for this year, you just have to stick with what you got. I mean, because Ayafalo, as a third-line winger, with his defensive metrics, with how elite that level is, yep. I think that's a great player to have. I mean, Especially forget about yeah, it's exactly. Forget about what he's being paid. I mean, for right now, for this year, if you're able to fit him in the cap with all the other players that the Kings have, I mean, that's that's a great combination to have. So maybe middle of the season or, or as we get closer to December, the turn, turn of the new year when the salary cap, you get a little bit more space with a little deadline space to, to make some moves. Maybe that's the time we see the Kings maybe add that uh, left shot defenseman they've been looking for. I think it's a good shout, though, Randon, about – you know, more. And it's, I think the tough part is, is man, it, we've seen how much can change in a year, like, and, and just the way things, the roster and the way it can look and guys that you expect to do certain things. I don't think anybody expected Trevor Moore to do what he did last year. So guys kind of come out of nowhere. Would anybody be surprised if Trevor Moore kind of fell back a little bit? Who knows? Like, there's just so many variables to this. Um, and I think like the thing with IFL, I think, if the Kings make the determination that, okay, we need to clear cap space for something, whether that's we're signing Mike Anderson to like a pretty significant deal, or you know what, we may have something lined up here for like a left shot D somewhere, then I think Aya follows the guy. But barring none of that happening, and I don't think that that's necessarily likely, I couldn't agree more. Like, he is a great fit for the third line with Quentin Byfield. And I think he makes the Kings better in that role. So I think it's not that I, I, I don't think any of us want Alex Iafalo traded necessarily. I just think if the numbers don't work, he is seems like the kind of quote unquote obvious choice in that kind of mix, but he certainly makes the Kings better. And as a, as a third line winger. And the one thing I'll say too, when we do look ahead to next year with, with Jonathan quick, like, Yes, his five and a half or five eight comes off the books, but it's not a total five eight that's open. Like you need a, a backup goal, you need a second exactly, goal. Yeah. So whether that's maybe it's maybe it's half that that comes off the books, like because you're not signing a, you're, it's probably not going to be a league minimum goalie, right? You're probably still going to have to have a two to four million dollar goalie in there. So yes, his. Well, what if what if what if Falata or Hrenic like proved himself this year? What does a rookie goalie make? Like a mil and a half. Do they make two mil like, with no experience? Like, so then you would have, if you're taking that risk. Color me surprised if the Kings go into next season with a peterson Horanic <laughs> combo. I'll just say that. <laughs> you're right. But that we got to be... gotta find out a, a betting format for the show where we can pay bets to each other, like not money, like something funny. And, and to make bets about the season, we'll figure that you out. Sure. Like a board or something. In yeah, the back. yeah, like that. some board bets. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. But you, you're right, Brandon. In a great, in a like, I I would argue that that's kind of what Vegas should have done with and have uh, Logan Thompson be the kind yeah. of the guy to back up because he's cheap. And honestly, I thought he showed pretty well when he was in the NHL. But the Kings don't haven't had that guy kind of step up yet as those younger guys. So I just, I mean. I think even I mean I guess you could sign a veteran like 
Craig Anderson to a league minimum deal, but are you comfortable going with Craig Anderson and Cal Peterson? Get your Buffalo not, trash out of here. Let's not forget. <laughs> let's not forget. Like, so we're talking about next year because right now, obviously, it's it's Peterson yeah. quick. Um, the Kings are our expectations have changed. We're our expectations as fans are like the Kings should be contending for the division this year, and I'm sure as hell saying that's going to be the case next year. So that goaltending spot is going to be something that I'm sure we're going to talk about as the season goes on because, you know, whether Quick comes back or whether Cal Peterson's ready to take the reins, I guess we'll see. But this won't be the last time we have that conversation. But um, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't heard what the salary cap is going to be going forward. I feel like that's something that GMs would want to know, especially yeah. now when you're trying to trade for players and you're trying to figure out what the salary yeah. cap. I mean, the NHL just had huge TV deals with TNT and ESPN. I can imagine it's probably going to go up three, four, even $5 million in cap space. So, I mean, we haven't seen it go up more than a million at, like in a long time. You think it's going to be three, four, five mil? Like you think it's going to be that yeah. massive of a, yeah, I think so. I mean, these TV deals weren't small. These are huge deals that the, that the, the league has generated a ton of revenue from. So, I mean, especially with what's gone down with COVID and the shortened seasons and the players not getting paid full paychecks or whatever, I mean, you have to get higher salary caps in order to pay these players a little bit more money. And I, I think it's going to be a big jump that we're going to see. I, I think it's going to be a jump. But you said $5 million. I kind of almost like fell off my stool a little bit. Hey, you, you want to create some excitement for some of these teams. And these teams have been so handicapped with, with how their salary cap is. Like, it's it's weird. Like, this, the Kings became a salary cap team almost out of nowhere. Like, what do you mean we can't sign any more free agents? We only got one, and that's that's it? Like, we only have – we have a bunch of prospects of the same players that have been playing on the team for years. So, it's just strange. So, to have these new – this TNT deal and the ESPN deal to come in and, and to not have a big jump in the salary cap, I think it would be a miss by the NHL to – have these fan bases get a little bit more excitement built up from some new players that come in guy if you see it go up five million and then in the next year and like another three or four million is matthews making 20 million a year is he gonna be the first <laughs> player to break 20 mil i don't think it'll be that high i think maybe maybe 15 14 15 yeah, yeah, i, I yeah. think mcdavid's only at like 12 or 13 or something but yeah matthews's contract is going to be insane whatever the, the kings end up paying him <laughs> All right. Well, that was another good episode. Uh, a lot coming in there. Again, we talked about a lot of stuff. So go back and take a listen. If you came in a little bit late, uh, you can find all of our articles, especially the new one dropping tomorrow about the, the log jam of the forwards on hockeyroyalty.com. All our Twitter handles have been floating across the bottom. And if you if you're not reading, and you're listening in your car. It's at hockey underscore royalty at JW Paterino at NHL Russell and at Rando Commando 24. Always answering all your L.A. Kings questions. Uh, we've been saying this for months, but we're still trying to get some new merch out there for you. So just keep an eye out for that. Episodes weekly. And if we can squeeze out any more guests, we'd love to punch out some more content for you. Guys, it's been a great episode. Uh, love talking to you guys. Always nonstop action with the Kings this uh, this year. We're going to be talking probably a lot of uh, World Juniors, uh, some more draft pick stuff. Uh, and then camp's going to be right around the corner. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. It's going to be great. And uh, as always, go Kings go. Go Kings.